Hello and welcome to the Chapel Fill Podcast miniseries, Morala TV, a podcast for ethically-minded sitcom lovers. I am your host, Sophia Cazzini, and today we will explore the ethics of fidelity as we are discussing whether Ross cheated on Rachel in the 1990 sitcom series, Friends. Cheating. We see it all the time. From the milkman to the White House, infidelity is often under scrutiny. With the rise of television, we see this theme played out in comedies and dramas alike. We saw it on How I Met Your Mother with Ted Mosby when he lies about having broken up with his girlfriend Victoria before moving on to his friend Robin, a situation that also occurs in the series New Girl when Schmidt cheats with Cece. Even the lovable nerd Leonard Hofstadter from The Big Bang Theory is guilty of cheating. Some evolutionary scholars argue that it's natural, but does it make it ethically permissible just because monkeys do it too? Keep in mind, they also consume their own fecal matter. So whether nature is the best rubric is up for debate. But let's backtrack real quickly and set the stage for anyone who hasn't watched the show Friends in a while or even ever. It's season three. Ross and Rachel are in a monogamous relationship. There has been a strain on the relationship, however, specifically caused by jealousy. More specifically, Ross being jealous of Rachel's interactions with other men. However, men isn't just any men, it's Mark. Her work friend. Ross complains that he doesn't feel like he's a part of Rachel's life anymore because she's constantly at work and that happens to be where Mark is. He even says that he's not okay with her having a life separate from him, which is followed by a laugh track. Well, in response to this, Rachel declares that they need a break. Ross initially agrees, saying, yeah, let's go get some air. Then Rachel clarifies, not a break from the argument, but from us. Later on in the episode, Ross calls to try and win Rachel back and express that he doesn't want to be on a break because he loves her. But during this call, he hears Mark in the background and, of course, assumes what is for him the worst. Ross then goes out drinking with Joey and Chandler in hopes of drowning his sorrows, only to meet a girl who kisses him and who he then kisses back and ends up going home with. The next day, Rachel goes to Ross's apartment to end the break and profess her own love to him. Well, this puts Ross in quite the pickle because a sneaky link is still there, so Ross has to hide her and uh, sneak her out. He then spends the rest of the episode trying to keep what happened the night before from his once-again girlfriend, Rachel. When Rachel does find out, she's shocked. How could this very jealous, petty, immature man-child cheat on me? Truly shocking. And Ross's response is, We were on a break. This will continue to be his classic one-liner for the rest of the series and his only defense for his actions. All jokes aside, what in the world is a break? What does it mean to be in a relationship versus on a break versus broken up? Well, according to HealthyMind.com, taking a break in a relationship refers to what is typically meant to be a temporary separation. Psychology Today further clarifies that since a break is not a breakup, it's not a phase that changes the fundamental rules of the relationship. If the relationship had been exclusive or monogamous, then it still is exclusive during the break. So since Ross and Rachel were in a monogamous relationship and Rachel said that they should go on a break, we can presume that Ross did cheat. Now it's a little bit more complicated than that, but let's first get into why cheating is considered unethical. Cheating or infidelity is defined as the action or state of being unfaithful to a spouse or other sexual partner. Being unfaithful is defined as engaging in sexual relations with a person other than one's regular partner in a contravention of a previous promise or understanding. 
contravention meaning going against or breaking said promise. So in order for a sexual act to be considered cheating, it must be breaking a previously established boundary. This means that if you are in an open relationship or haven't agreed on being exclusive, sexual interactions outside of the relationship can be permissible and not considered cheating. And why is breaking a promise wrong? Well, according to the assurance theory, one has a moral duty to keep one's promises because making a promise will lead others to believe that you will do what you promise. Breaking that promise is then tantamount to deceiving those one has promised, and since one has a moral duty not to do this, one has a moral duty to keep one's promises. So essentially, breaking a promise means that you lied. And why is lying wrong? Well, Immanuel Kant said that lying is always wrong because, first, lying corrupts the most important quality of being human, the ability to make free, rational choices. Each lie that one tells contradicts the part of them that gives them moral worth. Secondly, one's lies robs others of their freedom to choose rationally. When my lie leads people to decide other than they would have had they known the truth, I have harmed their human dignity and autonomy. Kant believed that to value ourselves and others as ends instead of means, we have perfect duties, i.e. no exceptions, to avoid damaging, interfering with, or misusing the ability to make free decisions. In other words, no lying. So what really strikes me about this stance is the part about autonomy. And what exactly is autonomy? Well, generally autonomy means self-government, but Kant also means this as self-directing freedom and especially moral independence. Freedom, or the state of being free, is an extremely difficult concept to define, though many ideas are evoked when this word is articulated. I think that the most encompassing definition would be not being confined by an external force or not having actions in line with one's will impeded. Debating whether freedom is a rational desire or whether we all deserve it is for another day. Let's run this discussion off the criterion that we all deserve freedom up to the extent that we consensually give it up, potentially for other freedoms, such as giving up freedoms to do whatever we want once we enter into a society, or in this case, giving up the freedom to sleep with whomever we want once we enter into a monogamous relationship. Running it back to the original discussion, cheating is wrong because you are substantially impeding another's freedom, freedom which is a right, and if impeding another's rights is the basis for what is unethical, then we can agree that cheating is wrong. Cheating is only wrong to the extent to which it involves breaking a promise and or lying. Now let's turn it back to Ross and Rachel's scenario. Was there a promise made? Presumably at the beginning of their relationship, they decided to be exclusive to one another. But this promise may have expired once they decided to go on a break. The understanding of their boundaries were not made clear. Both parties expressed an understanding that their relationship was over. Therefore, the obligations connected with their relationship were presumably also over. That includes them sleeping exclusively with one another. There was a moment in the next episode when Rachel says to Monica that they had broken up, not that they were on a break. And Ross says repeatedly throughout that episode that he believes their relationship is over. There's never a scene where they discuss the parameters of their new relationship status or what the boundaries were. So my conclusion would be that because Ross thought that their social contract was terminated, he couldn't have cheated because he no longer was making that promise to only sleep with Rachel. Many people agree with this conclusion, even if not with the line of thinking. 54% of women and 64% of men believed Ross did not cheat. This is barely a majority, however. Why do so many people believe that he had cheated? Some may say, but a break isn't a breakup. And I would agree. These two statuses mean very different things. 
but both characters, before Rachel finds out about him sleeping with someone else, express an understanding that their relationship was over. There's also something that doesn't really rest easily with us when we hear someone has moved on from a relationship so quickly. It puts into question their loyalty, and thus how much they really cared about that other person. Should you still be loyal to someone you believe to no longer have a romantic relationship with? You aren't obliged to, but in theory, if you love someone, you should treat them with loyalty. So while they aren't doing anything wrong, it puts into question how genuine their actions were. If you are monogamous and in love, then why would you willingly stray from your partner while you still have feelings for them? There's a lot of reasons someone might rebound. Maybe they're trying to get over their ex or are looking for a distraction, comfort, or even validation. But in this situation, it's a case of tit for tat. Ross believes Rachel is sleeping with Mark, which he presumably feels like is a betrayal, so he decides to go and sleep with someone else. This kind of feels like he's trying to get back at her, which has a lot of moral implications, and like we learn from a young age, two wrongs never make a right. While Axelrod might have been right that tit for tat is the best strategy in the prisoner's dilemma in any situation of cooperation, it gets misconstrued a lot in ethics when discussing how others should be treated. Tit for tat and eye for an eye are not the best guides for ethical discussions in my opinion, but a lot of philosophers disagree. One perspective that makes me anti-eye for an eye is that it often feels like revenge. But here are some people who like retributive justice and think it's different from vengeance. In William Ian Miller's Eye for an Eye, he says, quote, Philosophers from Kant to Michael Moore insist that what they call retribution, giving wrongdoers what they deserve, must be sharply distinguished from such unsavory or even evil practices as revenge or vengeance. They also want to insist, as a point in moral psychology, that the motivation that prompts one towards retribution is a sense of justice, something admirable, whereas the motivation that prompts one towards revenge or vengeance is vindictiveness. Unquote. Now, real quick, I want to introduce a disclosure. I am not a theologian nor an expert in any religion. The following information is what I have gathered from the internet and people I have known who belong to these faiths. As with any religion, not every person agrees with everything, so if I have misunderstood a teaching, please let me know. I am still learning and growing in my understanding of this world. End of disclosure. I'm going to discuss morality real quickly as morality, which is the understanding of right from wrong based in tradition, often comes from religion. And since religion is a huge guider of many people's understanding of ethics, I think it's important to bring up. Now, morality in many cultures condemns judging others, and this often comes from the religious tradition. In the Christian religion, it is stated that one ought not to throw the first stone and they must always turn the other cheek. In Judaism, in the Perkei Avot, it is stated that you ought not to judge your fellow until you have stood in his place. And first of all, that you should judge them favorably. In Islam, it is believed that judgment should be left to God, as we are once again assuming ourselves to be better than others when we judge, which is wrong. Buddha was documented having said that those who judge dig themselves into a pit. In Hinduism, as we've seen with the previous religions, it is stated that it is once again not our place to cast judgment. There are many, many other religions in the world, but there seems to be a pattern, and the logic can be synthesized this way. It isn't our place to judge because there is a higher power or that we aren't usually rational enough to judge, and that's why it is in our place too. As an unreligious person, I'm not entirely convinced that the reason we shouldn't judge others is because there's a higher power to do it, but I do agree with the sentiment that we are far from perfect and not super well equipped to judge others, which means that we could inflict more harm by judging than good. 
I take this whole not judging spiel quite literally to the extent that I believe we should prevent harm rather than inflict harm as punishment. I think there's also some good arguments that aren't anti-retribution but that are anti-revenge like the one that we looked at previously. But let's get back to being secular real fast. First off, I interpret revenge to be emotional and not rational, meaning that you may not be thinking through your actions properly, and if you're a Kantian, you know that rationality is essential for morality. Hypothetically, judgment and punishment could impede the wrongdoer's rightful autonomy. For example, if they didn't commit the crime because you haven't investigated thoroughly enough, cough, cough, Ross, punishing an innocent man is obviously wrong. You may also not know when inflicting revenge, what punishment fits the crime. So revenge sex doesn't sound like it's coming from a moral good. At best, it's a moral neutral, and potentially it's also harmful. In fact, it did hurt Rachel, and if you're a consequentialist, even if Ross didn't intend to hurt Rachel, which is doubtful, those intentions matter less than the impact. To kind of bring this discussion to a close, while there wasn't a case of cheating in this episode, we can still feel uneasy about the ethics of sleeping with someone else as a tit-for-tat. If we believe that Ross wouldn't have slept with Chloe had he not assumed Rachel would do the same with Mark, then we can conclude that it was revenge sex. Inhibiting someone else's right to happiness because they limited your happiness, while it may sound like justice, just depletes the net happiness in the world. And as a neo-hedonist and consequentialist, that goes against my ethics. Now, after scoring the internet, I found that most people seem to implicitly agree that revenge is bad, and most people think that revenge is only permissible as a deterrent, which kind of goes back to preventative justice. I don't think that making someone suffer undoes the suffering they caused. Any perception of retribution is kind of manufactured. This isn't to say actions shouldn't have consequences, but it shouldn't be to create harm, but to try to stop future harm. Psychologists also show that retribution does not lead to long-lasting satisfaction, not to mention it rarely prevents others from repeating the crime because it doesn't cut to the root of the issue. But let's get back on track for the last time. Basically, no, Ross didn't cheat, but I think one of the reasons some people feel like he did is because he still acted inappropriately. His revenge was not only unwarranted, since Rachel didn't actually sleep with Mark, but it was also hypocritical. And harm it did, Rachel experienced a great amount of pain, and while Ross later regrets his actions, he did intend to do them, and even defends them till the end with his classic, We were on a break. So if you still hate Ross, that's okay, just make sure you are hating him for the right reasons. And that's all I have for you this week on Morella TV keep an eye out for the release of episode two where we will look at sitcoms like how i met your mother and family guys we discuss the popular trope of the womanizer and its ethical implications 